Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Hey guys, you know we've been in this series in the book of Acts called Be the Church. Not playing church, not just doing church, but being church. And that means becoming the Christian that you've always wanted to be, that I want to be, that God wants us to be. So in the book of Acts, I've been thinking for a long time, I would love to have my friend David Bailey come and speak here. And guess what? He's in town for a couple days. He and his wife, Joy, have been friends of ours for years. You're going to love him. If we were all in the same building, I'd say give a warm welcome to David Bailey. Dave, come on up. Hey, thanks, man. So glad to be here. Today I'll be speaking on the topic of the miracle of Pentecost. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for uh, this time to be able to break your bread and to get a chance to uh, hear your word. I pray that the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray that uh, seeds of the kingdom will um, be planted today or watered today, that, that it would yield fruit of 30, 60, and 100 fold. We thank you for uh, this uh, uh, work, what you're doing here in uh, the San Diego region uh, through this church. And I pray, Lord, that this community will, will be more of a reconciling community, a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Timmy and his brother John, um, their family had this tradition that every Saturday they would uh, have breakfast where mom would come and she would fix pancakes. And the tradition was uh, whichever kid got served pancakes first, uh, they would offer uh, pancakes uh, to the next kid the following week. And that kid would get a chance to eat the pancakes first. Well, you know how brothers do. Uh, Timmy and John kept on going back and forth, back and forth and said, you got pancakes first last week. He said, no, I didn't. You got pancakes first this week. And, and they went back and forth, back and forth. And, and the mom was getting a little irritated, but she was just reading devotional and felt pretty good about parenting because she said, you know what? This is a great opportunity for some discipleship. So what she does is she says, um, you know, if you want to be like Jesus, then you will let your brother get pancakes first. And then Timmy turned to John and said, well, Timmy, how about you be Jesus this week? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what's really funny? We always want somebody else to be Jesus first versus like us be Jesus. Like, like part of the reason is what it means is like when you're going to be like Jesus, you have to take up a cross and be willing to die for the sake of others. And so often we tell people, say, hey, how about you be Jesus first this week. Well, I want to read something. We've been in a period of time in our country with so much like uh, turmoil. I mean, not just only COVID, but in the midst of COVID, we've had some significant racialized traumas that have been televised and it's led to conversations about monuments. I mean, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and that's been a hot bud issue uh, that's been going on in our city for many years, but particularly over the last uh, few weeks and months. And this is a social critic that um, said something that was really poignant. He says this, but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, 
It will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. You know, how many of you all just within your, you know, you can show hands within your own house. Like how many have you all uh, have seen this happen within our world today? I mean, so many young people are, are disconnecting with faith, not even necessarily because of the claims of Jesus, but what they are seeing amongst Christians. I'm really glad that, that you all are in this service, this, this sermon series called Be the Church, like because this social critic is saying that this is critical for folks following the Lord. Now, here's my question. How many of you all know who actually said this? So let's take a guess. This is actually Dr. Martin Luther King in his letter from a Birmingham jail that he wrote in 1963. Dr. King wrote this over 50-something years ago, and you would have thought that this was an op-ed article in the New York Times last week. He talks about this like spirit of the early church. And one of the things that we need to understand about the spirit of the early church that we have to recapture is how do we become a reconciling community? See, the early church uh, uh, was a reconciling community. They uh, got a revelation that because of Jesus' death, that in this broken world, that Christ is starting the work of reconciling all things, including not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. And this crossed national lines and ethnic lines and socioeconomic lines. And these, all of these things are meaning towards Christ reconciling all things. So if we're going to get a, a, a picture of what does it look like for us to be a reconciling community in uh, uh, San Diego or Richmond, Virginia or New York City, we should look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures has to tell us. We're going to be looking at Acts 2, 42 to 47, and it reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into fellowship, into breaking of bread, into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I want to give you some thoughts that we can capture in the early church that helped them become and be a reconciling community. Number one, they were faithful fanatics. Number two, they were fearless freedom fighters. And number three, they were focused family members. I just, you know, I come from a black church preaching tradition, so this is the time we would have people to read it back. And, and so I want you to say they were faithful fanatics, they were fearless freedom fighters, and they were focused family members. You know, I'm really excited. I'm a big basketball fan. 
Uh, I'm really excited that, that uh, um, you know, all of the folks, you know, made it uh, uh, to the bubble. You know, we're praying for Russell Westbrook right now, who is dealing with COVID, but I'm hoping that he gets back. And, you know, you got some faithful fanatics of sports. You know, there are people that even to this day are still loyal to the uh, Padres because they're faithful fanatics. You know, we, we, people order their lives around being faithful fanatics in athletics. You know, now everybody I know is not into to sports. They don't order their lives around sports. They can, some people care less about sports. Some people are into TV. You know, and, and you could have some faithful fanatics or maybe this TV show right here. Are y'all familiar with uh, Gilmore Girls? Like, like there were some folks that were like, you know, uh, uh, Gilmore Girls went out off a season for like a really, really long time, and then Netflix brought it back, and folks were like, I got to find out what Rory is up to. So they organized and ordered their lives around being, because they're faithful fanatics of the Gilmore Girls. Now, you know, I'm a Christian, so I don't watch this, uh, but you know, Game of Thrones, there's some people, I know Judgment, I ain't gonna know what's, what's going on here, but like, some folks are like, they ordered their lives around understanding, like, like, and watching Game of Thrones. Like, people would say, David, you know, I know you don't, you know, you're a preacher and all that, and like, you probably shouldn't watch it, but it's so, the storyline is so good. It is so good. But here's the thing. What are Christians in the United States known for being faithful fanatics of? Like, 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 what, what, are we known of being faithful fanatics of What? You know, uh, our friends uh, Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman uh, wrote this book called Unchristian, and they and, and Barna Group did the study, and they found out that Christians are oftentimes known for being uh, more more for what they're against than even what they're for, for being uh, uh, and if they're for something, they're for conservative politics. But what's really sad is that we aren't known for being faithful fanatics of Jesus. See, as Christians, we need to be faithful fanatics of Jesus. And so how do you know if you're being a faithful fanatic of Jesus? Like, do you give yourself to prayer? Do you give yourself to fasting? Do you give yourself to the reading of God's word and ordering your life around Jesus? You know, I go to a lot of conferences, and, and one of the, the conferences that I get, I've, I've yet to been invited to go to, go to a holiness conference. Like, a, like, hey, we're going to like be about like, like loving Jesus conference. It's so many guys on so many things. And, and I think we got to do something about like, hey, how can we be known and live a life that's exuding of being faithful fanatics of Jesus? It said that they were devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. See, because they were faithful fanatics of Jesus, this led them to be fearless freedom fighters. It said that like all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, see, you could just like read over those those verses and just just kind of put our 21st century assumption in this. And so if like, you know, Mark wanted to sell me his house or, or if I wanted to sell my house to Mark, you know, there's a means and ways. Like as long as you have the money, you can make the deal. But in the first century in Rome, if you had property, you were set for life. 
Like there was somebody, you had to know somebody, you had to be in a particular place where, where you could have some property and you were set for life. Well, here's the thing. The way to think about the context of they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, it's like us emptying out our 401k, taking our retirement fund, all of the assets that we have, cashing it in and giving it to um, people who can know where the needs are in the community to distribute. Like we aren't even in control of the distribution ourselves. And so what this means is that these brothers and sisters were fearless freedom fighters looking out for those who are on the margins because their relationship with Jesus was so real that they weren't just only concerned about theirs, about themselves and, and their own things and their own families. You know, I live this really weird kind of Forrest Gump life. I, I sometimes can just end up being in these really fascinating situations. And I was on this plantation in South Carolina. I got invited by some close friends, Joy and I, and there was a friend of mine who has been on this journey of reconciliation that, that has been on uh, the journey of uh, um, uh, uh, leaning in. She's a faithful fanatic of Jesus. And she just was reading this text in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And she realized, you know what? I have inherited a quarter of a million dollars just because of somebody's grandkid. Like she has... $250,000 sitting in her bank that her granddad just gave for random reasons over a period of time. And that's just, just because of the fact that I'm somebody's grandkid. And I, I got a scholarship to go to the University of Virginia. And, you know, most likely I got that scholarship because, you know, I mean, yeah, I had great grades, but my granddad gives a credible amount of money to the University of Virginia. And she, we live in a neighborhood where uh, um, there are people who uh, have dealt with the consequences of redlining. Not decisions that they made on their own, but they said, hey, this particular part of town is uh, um, not going to be uh, uh, getting mortgage access and banks. And this is one of Mark, this is bad. And we're not going to give, like the city's not going to uh, uh, give the best of its services to this part of town. And it's going to give the best services to the other part of town. And in the neighborhood that we live in, that's not the part where, where, where they give the best. In the neighborhood we live in, uh, um, they put the city dump over there. They put the city jail over there. They put the seven housing projects that is the feeder school to the high school that we go to, I mean, that, that, that the kids go to. And so, you know, she said, you know, this is what some other people inherited. I inherited $250,000. They've inherited um, a lot of problems that wasn't on there own and it's caused a lot of stress and they, they don't have bus lines and transportation issues and it's a food desert. And like maybe what I could do is bring some friends of mine who have been on this journey together. And what I want to do is I want to take this $250,000 and I want to give it over to my brothers and sisters who are different race ethnicity than me that have uh, um, there's a access that one people group has been able to have that another one hasn't been able to have. And what does it look like for us to lean into being a reconciling community and creating some opportunity for wealth growth for folks in this community? So we started this 
fun to, to think about like, hey, what does it look like for us to kind of create this um, kind of family trust fund together? But our understanding of families expanded and we're trying to create opportunities for other people. You know, this is one of the guys I admire a lot, a guy named Don Flo. He's down in uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, actually Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And if you're ever in North Carolina, there's this thing called Flow Automotives. This is like automobile space, uh, um, a company. He has over 1,000 employees. He's a very, very successful businessman. Don knew that he was going to inherit his dad's automotive business, and so he went to the University of Virginia. Then he came back and said, hey, Dad, what I want to do is I want to work every single job from the bottom up until the president, and I want to, like, uh, um, be the secretary. I want to um, be the mechanic. I want to get paid what other people get paid. Like, I want to, in essence, like, walk in their shoes, um, become a, uh, uh, like, like Jesus did incarnation and, and kind of walked in our shoes. Um, I want to kind of walk in their shoes. And then I want to go to seminary to understand, like, theology so that I can apply that level of um, biblical understanding to how I run this business. I want to run this business for like people who may not ever get a chance to follow Jesus uh, and go walk into a church. I want them, if they never walk into a church, I want the way that they deal with our business to represent like a foretaste of the kingdom of God. I want to be a reconciling community. So, so he, he does things like this. Like, like if anybody works for their company, no matter how many kids they have, they, one of the benefits is, is that their kids can go to college. They have enough running resources uh, um, or scholarship fund that their kids can go to college. If you make $60,000 or less, then you get the most amount of benefits. And, and you make, the more that you make $60,000 above, the more cash you get, the less benefits you have. You know, and, and a lot of corporations, most of them, it's the more cash you have, the more benefits you get. And, and the less cash you have, the less benefits you get. But this guy, he's like, hey, I don't want to be selfish and I want to be a fearless freedom fighter. You know, one is giving up a ton of money away and another is saying like, hey, I want to create value and run my business in a way that's going to become a reconciling community. And he is such a pillar in the Winston-Salem community as a great successful business person. See, these are people who are faithful fanatics of Jesus, but also fearless freedom fighters. Why? When you're a faithful fanatic of Jesus, then you become a fearless freedom fighter and your definition of family changes. See, they were focused family members. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, it's important for you to understand this text. You've got to understand what the miracle of Pentecost is about. I grew up Pentecostal. I, I still am Pentecostal. I, I consider myself either like a low-key charismatic or a thoughtful Pentecostal, somewhere in between, between that. And like, I really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way I understood this growing up is that it was kind of like Acts 2 was just kind of an apologetic, like a, a reason to say, hey, we get a chance to speak in tongues. And it was kind of like speaking in tongues for the, speaking in tongues sake. But, but as I have kind of grown in my understanding of Acts 2, I realized that Acts 2 is about something. Like, like, like the disciples were asking Jesus a question. They said, hey, after they realized Jesus is the Messiah, 
You know, they were part of an ethnic group that was similar to the way black people were during Jim Crow. They were second-class citizens. They were in, in, in Israel, but they were on occupation of the Roman government, and they were second-class citizens. So they asked the question, say, Jesus, when are you going to make Israel great again? And they said, hey, Jesus, like, you're asking the wrong question. I can't even explain it to you, because if I explain it to you, you wouldn't even understand. Let me tell you this. Go ahead and go to Jerusalem, and I want you to pray. And the reason why God wanted them to go to Jerusalem to pray is because they were only thinking about their people. And yes, their people are God's people, but God has other people than their people. Don't we always do this? Like, we always want our people to be taken care of and, like, you know, forget about the other folks. But Jesus is like, hey, you know, I I understand this is the way your heart is, and I'm not going to bother you on this. So just do this. Go to Jerusalem. And it was on the day of Pentecost, God brought all these different nations from around the known world. People from Arab countries and from Europe and from Asia and folks in Jerusalem. And they were praying. And the Spirit of God showed up when this 120 and, and they began to speak in tongues. And they were speaking in tongues, glorifying God. They were speaking in their own language and yet understanding one another. See, the miracle of Pentecost was this. The miracle of Pentecost was unity and diversity, not unity through assimilation. See, in the world, the way that we get unity is unity through assimilation. But in in Christ's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the way you get unity is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to force each other into assimilation because God, everybody's bearing the image of God. And so the diversity that we're experiencing is actually a reflection of the, the, the unity and diversity is a reflection of God. Like, let us make, make, make male and female in our own image and likeness. This is that unity and diversity that we see in Genesis 1 is some of this reflection of a multiplication of the unity and diversity that we see in Acts 2. That, that, that the reflection of this is glorifying God that people don't have to assimilate. They can speak their own language and yet understand one another for the glory of God. My friend, uh, um, uh, my friend Jonathan Brooks says it this way. The, like, like when Peter uh, got up and, and, and there was like 3,000 folks and they, they were like looking and seeing what was going on and saying, hey, this is so weird. And they didn't, they didn't understand what was happening. Like there was something that the Spirit of God was so significantly going on in this upper room that they said, you know what? Uh, um, the only explanation is, is that y'all got to be drunk. And my friend P- uh, uh, John says that this way. He says like, Peter gives the best retort. They're like, hey, we're not drunk. It's only, it's not even happy hour yet. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> You know, we, when the Spirit of God is really at work, we don't have to tell people. People will say like, oh, let me, what's going on over there? I think I want that. And 3,000 were saved that day and folks were being added to the church daily by multiplication. So what does it look like if we capture the Spirit and like, what's the fruit of being a reconciling community? Wait, what does that look like? And uh, my best illustration is uh, my friend Chris, uh, Chris Lee, uh, he grew up um, in the Tidewater area, uh, like the Norfolk area of, of Virginia. And we went to college together. We were about 18 years old and uh, 18, 19 years old. He was an art student. I was a music student. We loved Jesus. Uh, we were doing urban ministry. But, you know, college wasn't working out for him. So he decided to go into the military. 
and he ended up meeting this really beautiful woman named Kim. Kim is Korean. Uh, she was immigrated to the United States. She was about 10 years old. Uh, they met and got married within a very, I mean, like three to six months. Um, kids, I don't highly recommend that. It works out. They're still married to this day. But, but they uh, 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 got married really quickly. And so she sent a letter to her parents and her family said, hey, you know, I met a guy. He's a really nice guy. He has a great job. His name is Chris Lee. And I love to, you know, uh, um, introduce you to him. And they say, oh, send us a picture. Send us a picture. And so they go, they send a picture. And they're like, he's no Lee. He's no Lee. See, what it was was Chris and Kim, because of their own cultural context in which they grew up, they had different definitions of Lee. See, they had to say, hey, what did you mean by Lee? And, and like, what do you mean by Lee? And, and when you begin to have unity and diversity, it's not always fun and games. Sometimes there's some conflict that comes, but that's just where the theology and ministry and practice of reconciliation is really important. And so when you go over the house, you see a hybrid of Korean culture and a hybrid of African-American culture. And, and like what the fruit of reconciliation that looks like is these three beautiful girls. So you might be asking the question, what is the whole point of this sermon? It's to make some babies. You know, what it is is that the fruit of reconciliation is that we're making something new. We're joining Christ into to making something new. Bringing the word Arabah means a foretaste. And the way that it's used in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. Now, the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. And so we're like a try before you buy policy. And so we want to be a foretaste of this kingdom of God that's to come. And so, so what you want to do in the midst of this unity and diversity and the conflict that emerges, we want to be a place that out in the world, there's going to be so much polarization. There's going to be so much divide, so many challenges, but that amongst the people of God in the midst of the mass differences, in the midst of polarization, because we are faithful fanatics of Jesus, because we are fearless freedom fighters, not just thinking about our own self, and because we are focused family members, we become a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's making nice little kingdom babies. Let us pray. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that you would give them some imagination for what are the possibilities that they can do in the midst of all of this polarization and, and, and division that they could say, hey, how can we be a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come? Well, we just desperately need you in this time and this hour. Help us to live into the maturity of the miracle of Pentecost that you have given us, that we may be a reconciling community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.